0: Welcome to the Thriving Forward Podcast. Now to introduce your hosts. Hi, I'm Megan Laspinera. I'm the founder and executive director of Kids Thrive 585 Inc. and a pediatrician in Rochester, New York. And I'm Sarah Collins-McGowan. I'm also a pediatrician here in Rochester, and I teach community health and advocacy to pediatric residents. In each episode, we will speak with people involved in good works and projects in the greater Rochester area. We hope that by introducing you to these inspirational people and their stories, you will be motivated to learn more about these amazing organizations in our region and the fabulous people who keep them working. Hi, everyone. It's Sarah, and I'm here today with Jennifer Maniga from Cameron Community Ministries. Jennifer began her work at Cameron as the Youth Programs Director in 2011 and was named Executive Director in 2013. And she is also a mom of two. Jennifer, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited.
0: So we always start with an easy getting to know you question. What's something that you've been into lately? It can be anything, a new hobby, book you've read, whatever comes to mind.
1: Oh my goodness. Well, I'm an avid reader, but um, that's not new. So I think the thing that's new for me that I've tried during the pandemic is essential oils. And I'm um, I'm just obsessed with them now. I've never, like I liked them a little bit before, but I didn't really know what to do. And um, just before we started uh, talking today, I had a little focus uh, oil that I rolled on. Um, so just something different and new, something I never thought I would really get into, but i um, starting to really like it.
0: <laughs> so for people who don't know, Cameron Community Ministries is in the Lyle Otis neighborhood of Rochester. Um, can you tell us a little bit about Cameron and the different kinds of programs that you offer?
1: Absolutely. So Cameron's been here actually for 37 years. Um, We're going to have a big 40th anniversary coming up in just a few. And so um, it started as just a neighborhood outreach center. So there was a a needs assessment completed in the Lyle Otis neighborhood. Uh, It used to be a church, our building itself, um, part of it, used to be a church, and the congregation dwindled, and the neighborhood was kind of Um, turning over a little bit in terms of um, populations moving in and out and wealth. Uh, It's sort of near Kodak. And so um, things just sort of turned over like most of the city. And so when they did the needs assessment, it turned out that people needed food and clothing and a safe place for their children. And so those are really our three main programs today. We've added You know, a lot of things as the years have gone on. Um, But so we have a a soup kitchen that is functional every day, serving a meal to folks in need. Uh, We partner a lot with Food Link. We also have a clothing house that gives out um, clothing and hygiene products, household things, you know, linens and sheets and um, all sorts of things like that that folks might need, cleaning supplies. Um, And finally, we have youth programs. And so for 35 years, we did K through sixth grade. And we partner with the Rochester City School District and we get our children. Most of the children come from the school. Um, it's 54 school, it's just a few blocks away. And we get to walk typically in a typical year, but this is 2020, uh, to go and pick up the children so that that alleviates any transportation issues that families may have getting them to an after school program. So we pick them up and they come after school and they have a snack waiting for them and they uh, have one on one or small group time doing homework and tutoring and just kind of hanging out in a safe place. Um, And so we've loved that. And since I've been here for so long, I was able to see my first cohort of children go through from kindergarten to sixth grade. And they were starting to get nervous. Like, Miss Jen, where am I going to go now? What's going to happen? And that was a big flag. (laughs) It was like, hello, we're missing this whole population. Um, and so two years ago, we were able to embark on capital campaign that was um, to fund a teen center. And so now we have this amazing teen center that just is a continuation of our youth programs so that we can keep the kids all the way through high school and helping them, you know, for those years afterwards. So we're really, really excited. We have K through 12, and it's just really awesome. So teen center is the same. They have homework, instruction, fun physical activities, um, exposure to mentors and field trips and all sorts of things that's just in a safe place, particularly here in the Lyle Otis neighborhood where there are a lot of things happening that um, if kids are involved in, you know, that lead to some pretty serious consequences. And so just wanting to give them a space that they can still be together, but it's safe um, and positive.
0: What was the response like from your teens when you were able to expand your program and open up the Teen Center?
1: It was incredible. There were so many things that I wasn't even anticipating as as them being excited about. So um, before we even did it, you know, we asked them, is this something that you would come to? Should we do this? You know, what, it, what is it going to look like? And we had a youth advisory council. So we had the teens, a few of them on the committee, and they kind of talked about programs and design like this is what we wanted to look like and so you know grown-ups we thought okay they wanted they they would want like a big kind of center like a rec center where they can kind of run around and maybe play foosball and basketball um that's not what turned it turned out to be the the teens in the committee said no we want it to look like a house we want to have couches and we want a fridge where we can hang up our report cards And we want to be able to cook, you know, meals together. I want it to look like a house. And that was just mind blowing to us. And we, a lot of change orders (laughs) with our builder to make that happen. Um, They chose everything from the colors to the carpet to everything. You know, there's a fridge and a beautiful full kitchen that we weren't anticipating. So um, the response was incredible. They felt very proud that they were a part of making those decisions and yeah, it's just been going so great. So just, just September um, was a year that it's been open.
0: You alluded to this a little bit, that this year obviously is different. Um, how has COVID affected your programming? I imagine the in-person stuff is more challenging now, but on the other side, the the food and the clothing, there's probably a, a, a more significant need
1: Absolutely. So um, COVID has affected us just like everyone else pretty significantly. Um, For our food, we have not stopped serving. We know that food um, is obviously the most basic need and um, that really intensified even during COVID. We've seen people who we've never seen before because of things being so hard on the job front. Um, And so we give a meal, but we don't have people coming in and eating in our soup kitchen. Uh, Instead, we give a meal to go every day. And so um, it's, you know, alleviating the congregating and the in-person as much as we miss it. And we like being around a table together, you know, breaking bread and eating and just being in a nice space. Um, Of course, that's not safe at this point. So we are continuing to serve every day just in a different fashion. Um, Our clothing house, we just, you know, made some pretty strict uh, adjustments. And so it's like one family at a time. And um, we have, you know, plexiglass and all sorts of fun things. Uh, And for our youth program, it's changed the most. And so typically we would have kids after school. But as you know, um, the city school district is 100% remote. And so we knew that the kids are going to need way more help than even after school program um, and in terms of Wi-Fi and, you know, help on the computer and all the tech stuff. So we, um, we did some serious fundraising. We did some serious grant writing um, in terms of the crisis funds and all of that that has been available for nonprofits. And we were able to um, staff a full day program for our children. And so K through 12, they are here full day um, typically, we could have up to 75 kids and we only have 25, we, you know, for social distancing and for staffing. Um, but we know that we are making a serious difference for those 25 families, um, being able to have certified teachers and retired uh, tutor volunteers that were educators, um, just giving that one-on-one and small group instruction, that it's huge. Without that, I just know um, what the challenges would be. It's hard, you know, it's hard for me as a mom um, of a second grader. And so I just can't imagine what some of these families who have multiple children and multiple grades and maybe not, you know, the best access to technology, Wi-Fi, the skills even needed. Um, We found things like using a mouse (laughs) that the teacher would say, okay, you know, use your mouse and click mute. And kids are like, what does that mean? And so (laughs) we've been really lucky uh, to be able to be here working alongside and learning alongside them. Um, and we also know that the kids a lot depend on meals in the school, and so we're able to step up and provide two meals and a snack each day for them as well while they're here.
0: How did you get interested in working in the nonprofit sector, and, and then how did you find your way to Cameron?
1: It's a really interesting story. So I didn't think that I was going to be interested in nonprofit. Um, I was going to school at Fisher for mental health counseling. I have a degree in psychology. Um, with a, a minor in like child development and Spanish. And so I thought that I wanted to be a therapist. And as I was doing my grad work, I started working at the Center for Youth Services in Rochester um, under Elaine Spall and realized how much I just fell in love with the underserved kind of vulnerable population of children whom I never had experience with before, um, but I was I was subbing and working in a the homeless shelter for runaway and homeless youth, and I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't want to do the, the one-on-one kind of mental health therapy kind of stuff. I really liked the group work and just making a difference for kids who just just need that exposure, need that, that at-bat, if you will. Um, and so after I worked at the Center for Youth, I ended up taking civil service and worked for um, child protective services a little bit um, at the Bavona Child Advocacy Center. And so I've always known I want to work with kids, uh, but I didn't really know doing what. And so um, as you can imagine, the work at Bavona is pretty daunting um, and some people can do it for their whole life. And I was not one of those people. And so after, um, I was at CPS for over four years, going on five years and I just needed a change. Um, I'm Christian woman. I had a lot of things going in my mind that just were, you know, I was waking up at night and thinking about the kids and, um, I ended up coming across a youth director role at Cameron and um, obviously it was a nonprofit. I had no really exposure to that. I didn't really know what I was walking into, but when I came here and took a tour and got to meet some of the kids, I just knew, um, again, that was the kind of underserved population that I had fallen in love with initially. So, um, I took a, a big leap of faith and I came here as a youth director and then, just over um, a year later, uh, my predecessor as um, executive director left, and so I um, took on that role, and that was when I was just becoming a mom, and so um, it was really a really hectic, crazy time, but it was awesome, and I've been here for over oh, nine and a half years so
0: I imagine that psychology degree has served you well over
1: all, through all of the different <laughs> transitions that you've that you've had too. Absolutely, yeah, you can't go wrong. <laughs> what
0: advice would you give to someone else who's maybe thinking that they want to do, you know, similar work either with children or in the nonprofit world?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, it's a rewarding field. A lot of people say, oh, my gosh, you know, that must be so hard. And and there there is vicarious trauma. That's real. Um, folks are having a hard time, and it is hard to think about that. Um, but it's different because you're able to have serious um, Interaction, personal—you can build relationships with these children and the families, and you can you can literally see there's a tangible difference um, that is that can be made. You know, our kids—we see them uh, learn to trust us, and you know, the families too. We just build rapport, and you can just see the differences. I mean, even thinking about where we are now with COVID, um, I feel so bad for children who aren't enrolled in something like we have. Because the difference in in keeping them up to speed where they are, uh, a lot of these families have enough going against them without a pandemic. And so just being able to be that support. So um, it's not easy. It's not easy. And so anyone who wants to uh, do nonprofit, it's not for the faint of heart, Um, but it is rewarding. And there are days that sometimes just, you know, a hug or an elbow these days um, just make all the difference from a kid, you know, a kid who comes running up and I could have a horrible day, but if I can go sit down with the kids for a little while, I remember that why I, you know, sit and write grants and, you know, fundraise, uh, just for them. So it is rewarding. Um, I would say that, uh, don't be, you know, uh, prepared for, you know, a huge paycheck or anything like that. But, um, the, the benefits and the flexibility really outweigh especially um i have two young ones at home and so the flexibility for me is huge um my daughter is in the hybrid model and she comes here a couple of days a week to sit and work with the Cameron kids and she's got that instruction too and so things like that are really a good trade off it's really rewarding i would encourage anyone <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's something about um, sitting with kids to really help clarify what's important. Um, Absolutely. That's one of the reasons I was drawn to pediatrics too, for the same reason, no matter how crazy things are, you go and you spend time with a kid and it's, it's very focusing.
1: Absolutely. Yes,
0: it is. Um, if people want to help or to learn more about Cameron, where should they go? And I know you guys have been doing some creative fundraising recently too. So um, mm-hmm. tell us about, you know, what people can do to help.
1: Absolutely. Well, we just have a redesigned website that has, I think, the best timing ever. We were working on this kind of pre-COVID, and so um, it just came out. And so the website is www.cameronministries.org, and there is everything that you can imagine on there in terms of information that would be needed. Um, Right now, we are accepting just very, very limited volunteers. But on the regular, we couldn't do half the programming that we do without people who are willing to volunteer and just hang out with a kid or serve a meal. Um, and of course sending during this crazy time, just like everyone else, you know, we're running a full day program where we typically would have four part timers. They're now full timers, um, to be here with kids all day. And so any support, um, can help certainly, but yeah, I would direct people to our website. Great.
0: Um, you mentioned already that you partner with FoodLink on your um, soup kitchen. Um, is there another organization in Rochester that you think people should hear about, either that you know Cameron has worked with, or just that you personally love and want to shout out a little bit?
1: That's interesting. I am a member of the Council of Agency Executives, um, and I'm on the board. And so there are so many amazing organizations in this city. Um, As you know, I think have you, if you haven't talked to teen empowerment, I would definitely encourage you to do that. Um, I know they have had a lot of changes, of course, in their programming as well, but we've been um, really trying to partner with them, uh, learning from their models of the great work they do with teens. Um, That's, I guess, that's who I would probably say. Um, Yeah.
0: Um, And then my last question, what we always like to end with is just, what's your favorite thing about Rochester?
1: Oh my gosh, there are a lot of fun things about Rochester. I like all of the experiences and so, you know, obviously those priorities change when you're up here in. And so um, I love taking my kids to the zoo and the museum um, and the George Eastman house. I mean, we just have so many cool things um, around town for kids and families um, all of the parks. We are going to go and see the fairy houses one more time before it gets really cold uh, this weekend. And so just all of the resources that there are for families, that's, that's really what I'm big on.
0: Yes, we've been doing the zoo a lot lately because it's a good yes. place where you can okay. be socially distanced. My, my kids have like renamed all the animals uh, there. so
1: Oh, how fun. Yes, we love the zoo.
0: Um, Jen, it's been a pleasure to talk with you today. Um, thanks for joining me and thank you so much for all the good work that you're doing.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to uh, continuing to listen to the podcast.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Thriving Forward podcast. This podcast was brought to you by Kids Thrive 585 Inc., the Huckelman Center at the University of Rochester, and Rochester Regional Health. To learn more about today's guest, head over to kidsthrive585.org and click on the podcast link. See you next time. The views, information, and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of their employers or funders.